I called my husband. I was crying. And I told him, listen, like, I didn't want to worry you, but today they made me come back to the doctor's office to give me the results. And unfortunately, I have to go and see an oncologist. So he said, what is an oncologist? Send a doctor for cancer. I'm Tanya, and you are listening to A Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss the deepest parts of Torah, not just as scholars, but also as human beings. Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you for a quick favor. If you have been listening to Human and Holy and enjoying some of our work, can you take a quick second to leave a rating wherever you listen to podcasts? and follow the pod. This ensures that you will not miss a single episode. Episodes come out every single Sunday morning and it helps us reach more people. So go ahead, leave us a rating or review, follow the podcast, and thank you so much for being here. Today's episode is an interview with Esther Sitbon, and I'll tell you a bit about her. Esther is from Miami, Florida, and over the last 15 years, she has been the director of the women's educational programs at the French Chabad of Miami. She is a certified Kala educator, a certified couples coach from the Torah Psychology School of Coaching, and a certified life coach from both the Rafua Institute in Jerusalem and the Institute for Neurosciences in Paris, France. Esther has regular radio shows on the Belgian Judaic Radio and the French Torah Box Portal. And I'm so excited to have Esther with us today. Today, Esther talks about the mitzvah of hair covering and how a medical scare led her to a wig salon and on a journey of beginning to cover her hair. This episode is by no means an exhaustive exploration of this huge mitzvah of hair covering for women, but it is one woman's precious story of how she began covering her hair, the teachings from Torah that have guided her, and the advice she would give to other women on strengthening or beginning the journey. My name is Esther Stilbon. I have been working for the French Chabad here in Miami for 15 years. As you can tell from my very Texan accent, <laughs> I'm from Paris, <laughs> and not from Paris, Texas. <laughs> I moved to Miami 19 years ago. Oh, wow. And I grew up in Paris in a Sephardi family, very traditionalist, but not from, and a little bit secular, I would say, but not the way that Americans see secularity more very, very attached to their traditions, to their mesora, very attached to the food that the religion would <laughs> bring along. And uh, we would go to shul every Shabbat, but we would use the car. But my grandparents were Shomer Shabbat and Shomer Kashrut. And we were, let's say, flexible. At home was mm. very kosher and, and we would not turn on the lights and everything. But when we were outside of the house, it was another story. Cool. So that's how I grew up. So very traditional, very connected to the traditions of Torah, but not to halacha in any way. Exactly. 
when I grew up in Paris, a lot of Sephardim arrived in the 60s in France. They were French, but they would live in Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria. When they were in their native countries, they were very attached even to Alaha. But somehow mm. when they arrived in the new country, they felt like we owe them to assimilate to them. Mm. And so somehow the olders, the grandparents remained with their strong roots and the new generation adapted to the modern society, I'd say. They would not be anything like reformed. They would still want to keep their Orthodox Torah, but they would be very flexible with any law that would not make them feel very comfortable in this new world. Mm. So basically, I grew up in a family where my grandma used to cover her hair with a hat, but at home she would uncover her hair. But my parents were not wearing either a kippah or a wig. My mom wore pants and I grew up wearing pants, tank tops. I didn't feel uncomfortable in my pants and tank tops. I didn't feel like I was not respecting the Torah or I didn't even know that actually. I didn't even know growing up, I went to a public school. And the first time I was introduced to some form of halacha was at the age of nine years old, when I started going to Talmud Torah, which is basically a Hebrew school, after school, once a week. And they taught us how to read in Hebrew. They taught us how to dig a little bit deeper in the parasha of the week and basic stuff, like get to know our religion a little bit better. But they would never push us to keep the mitzvot or anything specific. So when I became a bat mitzvah, my relationship with Judaism was either like the, the family tradition or a very private relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that I grew and cherished so much. And that was transmitted, I guess, by my mother, like any M who transmits emuna <laughs> with all her heart. Um, teaching us how to communicate before going to bed. We were not saying Shema Israel, but we were thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for whatever happened in our days. We were invited to speak with him, with our own words. So that's something that was really relating me to Hashem. And let's say that we were building this relationship at that stage. And then my grandfather, who was the frumest person in my family, passed away when I was 13 years old. And mm. then I started a new path in my life because I felt like somebody had to take over that position of being responsible for the Judaism in our family. And for some reason, because my father was not really going to... He was a patriarch in many ways. He was gathering the family and everything. But he always told me like, you know, I have my own relationship with Hashem. And I respect uh, the basic laws, but don't ask me for more. Mm -hmm. So I started getting into learning more about Torah. And basically at 19 years old, I started keeping Shabbat. I started keeping Kashrut. So at that stage, like I grew in many areas. And then I decided it was very difficult for me to keep that level in Paris because around me, I didn't really have any from friends or, and I wanted to continue growing. And I said, okay, I had an opportunity to, to come to Miami for work. I wasn't married yet. And I came to Miami. I met my husband here. And he was also a traditionalist French Sephardi Jew. 
uh, very traditionalist, <laughs> but he was open to grow. His family were, let's say, more connected than him at that time. And we got married. It's fascinating to hear your background in France and just the way that Jews related to their Yiddishkeit there and what the norm was in the community they grew up in. Today, we're going to talk about hair covering, your personal journey to covering your hair, why Jewish women cover their hair. And I'd love if you could begin before sharing your personal journey to covering your hair. Why do Jewish women cover their hair? So it's very interesting. That's a question that all Jewish women probably ask themselves. And I was recently invited at a show where a, a very famous Rebetzin was speaking. And she was saying that for her, it was the most difficult mitzvah of all. Mm. So either you were born very religious or not born very religious, you can challenge with that. But today yeah. she embraced it, she finds her way and her path through it. So basically, why do we cover our hair? First of all, because Hashem asked us to do it. It's a chok. There is no specific explanation to the mitzvah of covering your hair. We can definitely try to understand it. In the same way we accepted the Torah saying, so should we accept that mitzvah by doing it and then understanding it? But we find this mitzvah, this halacha, let's say, in the parashat Naso, when the Isha Sota, should I explain a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when the Isha Sota, who was the Isha Sota? So in Parashat Naso, we are speaking about two people. And actually it's very interesting because those two people have a link with hair. We are speaking mm -hmm. about the Isha Sota and we are speaking about the Nazir. The Nazir was a person who would dedicate himself to the service of Akadosh Baruch Hu through cutting himself from some kind of pleasure of materialistic pleasure, namely alcohol and also growing his hair and not cutting off his hair. And the Isha Sota was a woman who was suspected by her husband to be unloyal. How was she suspected? Because she had been seen in the company of a man who was not her husband by two witnesses who were kosher witnesses, mm. people who you can really trust. At that moment, That was obviously like at the time of the Betamigdash or the Mishkan. So the husband would take his wife and they would go together to the Kohen. And then in the Parashat Naso, we learn the process, how we would reveal if this Isha Sota was truly unloyal or if she was not. And the process through that was that the Isha was brought up to the Kohen in public. And the Kohen would take away her veil and uncover her hair. So from that moment, from that episode, let's say, we learn that the hair of a woman who was married was supposed to be covered. Mm. Okay, so some people say, was it totally covered? Was it not totally covered? That There's a machloket about that. If it's just some part of her hair or all her hair. Okay, and we can speak about that in a few minutes. And then 
what will happen is that because I'm going to finish the story of the Isha Sota for those who like the end of the story. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then what would happen is that once she was uncovered with what, which was supposed to be something a little bit humiliating, at least making her feel vulnerable at that moment. Okay. Mm. We feel that the Isha Sota, when she is unveiled, when she uncovers her hair, because all married women would cover her hair, so she would feel almost naked in front of everyone. That was a very vulnerable position, okay? And then the Kohen would write down on a parchment the name of Akadosh Baruch Hu. Then he would take some special waters that were bitter waters, and he would put that parchment paper where the name of Akadosh Baruch Hu was written inside of that water. and. This is when we see the importance of Shalom Ba'it. The importance of Shalom Ba'it. Why? Because in the normal time, we're not supposed to erase the name of Akadosh Baruch Hu from any mm. written paper. Right. But Akadosh Baruch Hu says, for this couple to know if yes or no, she is a worthy woman, an Eshet Chayil, a wonderful woman, and she was not unfaithful, and she was just seen in a company of a person who was actually not, it was not a problem, then I am even okay to erase my name. So Hashem, in order to pursue the shalom between this couple, will erase his name. And then once that the name of Hashem was erased from on the parchment, he would take away the parchment and the lady would have to drink those waters. If she was actually an Isha Sota and she was unfaithful to her husband, her neshama would leave her body. And otherwise, she would be granted something beautiful. What? Children. If she was a barren woman, she would have the gift of becoming fertile and becoming a, a mother. If she would have had one child, she would have had twins and everything. So it is from this episode that we learn that married women cover the hair. And it's very interesting because we thought about the fact that when we uncover the hair, there is a notion of vulnerability. The hair of a woman and the hair of a man are discussed to be very spiritual, have a very spiritual, specific spiritual impact in this world. You know that for some men, for men, they're not supposed to shave certain place and they're supposed to let grow certain hair. For women, we are allowed to shave our hair, but our hair also has a special revelation of who we are. And just like in the world, there is the energy of masculinity and the energy of femininity, we can find that in the hair also. The energy of femininity is the energy of being mekabel, receiving. So basically, if you think about a, a keli, a recipient, it is not something that goes out, it's something that goes in, that holds, right? So is the woman, she holds, she makes some space for life to exist. And you see that beautifully in a pregnant woman, when she makes some space inside of herself in order for a baby to be able to, to grow and be alive. So the energy of femininity is basically to hold people inside. And we can see that the moment a woman is supposed to cover her hair, 
is actually the moment she had an intimacy with her husband, meaning that she let him inside of herself and she hold him. This moment is going to create a special energy and her hair will need to be covered because at that moment, her hair become like the shining example of that feminine energy. The feminine energy is having an inside and being able to hold inside. This is why tsniut for the women is so important. They have to understand that, we have to understand that tsniut is actually telling the world, I am not just a stake. I'm not just what you see from me. I'm not just this body. I have an interiority and I am this interiority. I am this neshama that Akadosh Baruch Hu placed inside of me. And this is very specific to the women to hold it inside. Nice. And the Kabbalah explains it very deeply. I will not be able to bring the Kabbalah right now, but it's very interesting to understand the power of that connection between a husband and a wife and the fact that it is revelated on her hair, her own hair. Can you tell us briefly like one nugget from the Kabbalah that you've learned about hair covering? One of your favorite pieces? It brings us back to, to marriage. Is it okay that I go through marriage? So you know yeah. when Akadosh Baruch Hu created a human being, he created them in his image. And Akadosh Baruch Hu is the perfect harmony, balance between masculinity and femininity, between the woman energy and the masculine energy. And he's one. We know that since we are little, when we say the Shema Israel, we say Hashem Echad, he's one. So basically when he created Adam Arishon, he created him as feminine in one side and masculine in one side in the same body. Mm. It was an androgynous being, okay? This androgynous being then, for details that we will not go in right now because it will be too long maybe, but at one point, Adam Arishon will ask to be separated in two bodies because he feels the necessity to be able to share his life with, to have another point of view on his life and to be able to be in two bodies just like the other beings, of just like the other creatures. All the animals were one female in a female body and one male in a male body. So Akadosh Baruch Hu answers him back, you're right, it's not good that the man so Hadam be by himself. And when we speak about the man in Bereshit, we're speaking about that being, that androgynous being, okay, that represents both male and female energy. So he's going to separate the female part from the male part, and he's going to shape her into Chava. And now we have two bodies, one body that is Adam, the male body, and one body that is Chava, the female body and the female energy. And at that point, he is going to unite them under a chupa. So basically, we have a puzzle that was formed. Then it is separated into two pieces, and marriage will bring them back as two pieces of a whole. And Hashem is going to marry Adam and Chava under that chupa and tell us something very interesting for the purpose of marriage. When a man marries a woman, he leaves the house 
of his parents. And believe me, I thought about that many hours. Adam and Chava didn't have parents. So it is not for Adam and Chava, but it is a message to all of us because they didn't have parents. He leaves the house of his parents to go and cling with his wife and and become one flesh. Okay, so basically the purpose of marriage is unity, to become one. Unity, connection, and union. It is through intimacy that they reach that unity. Because when do we become one flesh? Only in the moment of intimacy. So from the moment when a woman becomes intimate with her husband, that first time, they recreate the Hadam, Ha'adam, the Adam, the original androgynous being. And somehow at that moment, there is a special energy that is unique and that is very powerful. And this is one very simple way of explaining it, but this is what happens to the hair. It is brought with a very special energy from the birth of a new being. The marriage brings back together those two pieces of the puzzle and they form a new being at the moment of intimacy. So that's why she now wears that special crown, spiritual crown on her hair. And she reserves that crown, that energy, because this is actually a revelation of her inside. And again, this is exactly the same feeling as we found in the Isha Sota when she was unveiled, when her hair was unveiled by the, the Kohen Gadol and her hair was revealed and she was so vulnerable. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so walk us through your personal journey to covering your hair. You grew up in France in a very traditional family. Hair covering was not part of the Jewish story that you grew up with. What prompted you to begin covering your hair? What was the journey to covering your hair? And what have been your struggles throughout that journey? Okay. So first of all, when I grew up, I saw my grandmother covering her hair. She had short hair and she would cover her hair with a hat. And honestly, I didn't even know that wigs really existed because around me I wouldn't see, and I wouldn't know even that women were wearing wigs. Only when I started learning about Torah more in depth, I learned that women had to cover their hair and that there were women who chose to cover their hair with a wig. Before that, I didn't know. And I have to tell you very honestly, the first time I heard that, I said, wow, this sounds very hypocritical to me. Mm. How can somebody else's hair cover my own hair? Sometimes it's even more beautiful than my own hair. And I didn't dare asking the rabbi that day. But later on, when I was a little bit more uh, confident, let's say, and I, and I had matured that idea, I asked the rabbi, like, isn't it weird like, to be even more beautiful with a beautiful wig than, than without my wig? And he told me, listen, you have to understand that the purpose of covering your hair is not at all not to be beautiful. You're a bat melech. You have to be beautiful. You have to be elegant. You have to represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And it's true that many times us women, we tend to mix up two mitzvot, the mitzvah of 
being tzniut, and the mitzvah of covering our hair. But those are two different mitzvot. The mitzvah of being tzniut is one beautiful mitzvah, and it's totally separated from the mitzvah of covering your hair. I know women who cover their hair because they want to cover their hair because they are married, but they still wear pants because they were not ready to go only with skirts. And I know women who actually wear skirts and don't cover their hair yet. And that was my case. At the very beginning, before even I got married, I was thinking if I were to get married and I would cover my hair, I don't think I would use a, a wig because in my in my perception, I couldn't really understand how covering your hair with a wig would would make me more snoot because I I mm. mixed up the two the two mitzvot. And so when I started getting married, I decided to cover my hair only with little very Frenchy beret, you know, like those mm. little berets that we put. I didn't bring up the baguette and the wine that goes with it, but I liked the little beret. It was chic and elegant. <laughs> <laughs> and I also would put like just a headband. I liked the idea of having something above me on top of my hair, but I was not ready yet probably to totally cover all my hair. And if I was not ready, believe me, there was someone else <laughs> who was not ready. It was my husband. My husband mm. was still in the process of growing spiritually. And at that point, he was not ready at all for me to cover all my hair, especially with a scarf, because at that time, I would think that scarves were more convenient for me than a wig. Right. So when we got married, I would cover totally my hair on Shabbat, on the Chagim, and not when I was working during the week. When I was going to a, a shiur, I would also cover my hair out of respect for the rabbi and because that was special moments for me. But little by little, I really, really wanted to do more. I felt like, you know what, like I'm growing in, in my Avodat Hashem and there is something very specific that it's tough for me. But if it's tough for me, it's probably because it's something important. And it was covering my hair. And really like Liat Liat, I started really wanting to cover my hair more often. But my husband really was not okay with that. He said, listen, like you cover your hair on Shabbat, you cover your hair on the Chagim. It's good enough. Like you don't need to do more. We're not like from, you know, like we don't need to cover your hair all the time. And then I became pregnant with my first son. And as mm. I became pregnant, I was like, oh, wow, I'm becoming a mom. I really have to make sure like to fulfill all my dreams of being this mother that represents a Yiddishkeit for my sons, the way I feel inside. So um, I asked my husband, listen, like it's very, very important for me now, like that I became a mom to cover my hair. And he was struggling and we went to see our rabbi and our rabbi said, listen, just as Hashem was okay to erase his name in order for the Shalom Bayit to appear, for the moment, you have to stick with what is okay for your husband because you don't want to create friction in your marriage. You don't want to create unhappiness and tensions. So for the moment, cover your hair on Shabbat, on Chagim, and, and liat, liat, be'zrat will your husband will accept. I gave birth to my first son, and then I started having problems in order to conceive a second child. It was complicated. I had to go through hormonal treatment 
And oh. after some time, I finally became pregnant. And I wanted to thank Akadosh Baruch Hu in my head. I was like, oh my, oh my God, thank you so much. You know, like when you receive such goodness, when you feel it's difficult to become pregnant and finally you become pregnant, you want to thank with all your heart. And I really want to thank him by covering my hair because I felt like that was something very important to me. But again, my husband said, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. So we waited. And after a couple of months, I went to my OBGYN and he told me, okay, uh, today we're going to, um, to do a pep smear. I said, okay. So, you know, they do like the, the pep smear. And two weeks after, the secretary of the doctor calls me and she asked me to come in. So I said, okay, I come in. And she tells me, well, you know, the pep smear revealed that you have the papilloma virus. So mm. to me, I didn't really know what it was. I said, okay, like I don't feel anything. She said, no, 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 no. The papilloma virus is actually a virus that you don't feel anything, but the risk is that it gives uterus or cervix cancer. Mm. So I was in shock. I was like, okay. But in my head, I was like, okay, it's a risk. And I know that sometimes when you are in the US, the doctors have to give you all the risks in order not to be sued that they didn't present you all the risks. So I said, okay, it's just mm. a risk, but I have a Muna in Hashem that is not, nothing is going to happen to me. She said, okay, maybe you have a Muna in Hashem, but we still have to do our job. You have to come back in two weeks and we cannot do a biopsy because you're pregnant, but we have to do a little test that will reveal if the cervix has some cells that are impacted or not by that virus. So they did mm. that. And unfortunately, it was revealing that, yes, some of the cells of the cervix were impacted by that virus. And they told me, well, mm. because of that, when you give birth, after you give birth, after a while, we're going to have to do a biopsy in order to check if you have that cancer or not. Honestly, I was so excited with my pregnancy. And I was so, I was always very close to Akadosh Baruch Hu, and I have a lot of bitachon, uh, of trust in him. So in my head, I was like, okay, let's enjoy my pregnancy. I'm going to have a baby. Nothing is ever going to happen to me. It's fine. I'm... So I came back home. I turned to my husband. I explained to him what was going on. And he is very worried about health. So he started like telling me, oh my God, like it's very scary. What are we going to do? Let's reinforce. I said, okay, let's reinforce with putting a wig on my head. He said, no, 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 no. Let's reinforce. <laughs> let's reinforce with something else. So he reinforced himself in some things. We decided to take upon ourselves some little other things that were in our comfort zone, let's say. And we grew. And then I gave birth to a beautiful second boy, Eli Yehuda. And after five weeks, you go back to the doctor to check that everything is fine. And so I was driving to, to the doctor with my little baby. I was so happy, Baruch Hashem, so grateful. And I arrive at the doctor and the doctor proceeds to the biopsy. Then I go back home. Two weeks after again, the secretary calls and she says, uh, can you come please to the office? I say, yeah, sure. So I go back with my baby, drive back to the hospital, go back to the doctor. And the secretary looks at me and the doctor looks at me with a head of Tisha Beav, meaning like mm. with a head, very, very sad expression of the face. And so I said, uh, what's going on? Like, so you have a bad news? And I really couldn't imagine that there could be a bad news. I was in heaven wow. with my two boys. I was so happy. And the doctor tells me, well, listen, Esther, don't worry. You can still 
probably have other kids, but you have the cervical cancer and we're going to have to make an appointment with the oncologist. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, people go through that and they're healthy and sometimes they can even have other kids. And suddenly, I couldn't even hear what they were saying. You know, when you're, you hear a news and then your thoughts start going all around. And even if you trust in Akadosh Baruch Hu, you're like, whoa, wait, wait a second. What are you telling me? I cannot have mm-hmm. more kids. Or maybe I will have another kid. And then I started crying. I said to Hashem, listen, like you gave me this kid. It's not for me not to be there to raise him. And I want plenty of other kids. We're going to have to find something. I called my husband. I was crying. And I told him, listen, like I didn't want to worry you. But today they made me come back to the doctor's office to give me the results. And unfortunately, I have to go and see an oncologist. So he said, what is an oncologist? Send a doctor for cancer. He couldn't speak. So I said, are you here? Are you here? And he said, it can't be like it's impossible. And he starts crying. And he tells me, okay, let's meet at the house. We're going to speak about it. Don't worry. I'll be there. It's fine. Don't, uh, and he couldn't really process that information. And so I go back to the parking. I take my baby. We go in the car. And I start crying. I start speaking with Akadosh Baruch Hu. And I arrive in Bay Harbor Islands, where I used to live at that time. And it's a long avenue. There is mm-hmm. a long avenue. And in this avenue, there was a store that is called Yaffa Wigs. And I passed in front of Yaffa Wigs so many times, every day, actually, at least four times a day. But I never dared entering that wig salon because, honestly, I didn't even know what to ask inside. And anyways, my husband didn't want me to cover my hair, but the red light was on and I, I was really in front of that store. And I said to Akadosh, well, you know what? If I take upon me to cover my hair, please release that decree on me and make it disappear, make a miracle. Whatever it is, you find the way, but I'm going, if I cover my hair, please, please, please let me, let me be free of that decree. And I start trying to find all the courage that I had to enter that store because for some reason, like I was very, very scared to enter that store. I didn't know. It feels so awkward, you know, like, uh, do we mm. enter a store like, uh, okay, I am a size four, uh, <laughs> like for a skirt. What, what do I ask her? Like, I didn't even know anything. So I knock at the door with my stroller. And then there is this Israeli lady who comes in. Yes, what's going on? And I said, oh, hi, like, uh, I don't know. Like, is it possible? I, I'm not here to buy. I just want to try on. Is it possible? She says, Nahon, I, come, come, come. Of course you can come, come in. So I came in and I saw all those hair hanging from, <laughs> from uh, <laughs> the wall. And I was even more impressed. <laughs> I was even more scared, I think. <laughs> and she tells me, like, who's re- your rabbi? So I gave the name of my rabbi, and she says, ah, okay, I'm going to give you this type of uh, wig. It's going to be good for you. I said, okay, great. So she helps me to try it on. I look at myself, and I was like, oh, wow. I would have never thought I would look like that with a wig. It was different. It was me, but it was different. And I, it felt so amazing. 
And at the same time, like it felt very awkward. I don't know how to describe, but it was a very deep feeling and it made me feel so happy. And she looked at me and she says, so you look happy, you want to take it? So I'm like, uh, listen, like, uh, how much is it? And then she tells me the price and I'm like, what? <laughs> it's so expensive. Okay, maybe I'm going to go for a scarf. <laughs> no, I didn't know the price of a wig back then. And she tells me, it's okay, it's okay. We can make arrangements. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm like, okay, okay. But anyways, I'm not here to buy because my husband will never want me to buy a wig. She says, hey, listen, you're beautiful. You have to give a chance to your husband to see you with the wig. So I said, what do you mean I get back home with the wig? She says, no, 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 no. I'm going to take a picture. So I said, okay. At that time, it was not the time of selfie yet, you know, so mm. nobody would, would grab a phone and, and take a, a picture of herself. So she invited me to go out in the street in order to have the daylight. And she grabbed my phone and she was about to make a picture of me. And at that moment, as I was with my little baby and this wig on my head, And I davened all my heart to Akadosh Baruch when I told him, please, Akadosh Baruch, please, 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 please. Make a miracle. Look, I'm here standing with my baby, who's already a miracle, with a wig on my head. I've been looking for that for so long. I love you so much. I want to do that for you. Please, please make that my husband agrees mm. for me to wear that wig and that it should be a miracle and there should be no more bad decree on me. At that moment, Yafa is about to take a picture of me. And she says, Rega, Rega, there is a phone call. She said, do you want to take that phone call? I said, who is it? And she says, it's Dr. Bitran. So it was my mm. doctor, my OBGYN. So I said, yeah, sure. So now I am outside with my baby, with a wig on my head, taking the phone call of Dr. Bitran. And it's his secretary. And she's like, Esther. I am so, 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 so sorry. And I said, why are you so, so, so sorry? She says, listen, like it's crazy, never happened to us. And I'm like, what, had, what happened? I thought they, were, they had like something even worse to tell me. She said, listen, like the lab just called in and they made a mistake. I said, what do you mean they made a mistake? These are not your labs. These are the lab's result of somebody else. Actually, you don't have cervical cancer. And not only that, but even if we did two pep smears, once when you were pregnant and once after you delivered your baby, you don't have papillomavirus anymore. You are totally free. I'm like, what? I was like crying of joy. So Yafa looks at me and she says, so are you taking that uh, wig or not? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you don't understand what just happened. I have to call my husband. So she takes the phone again. She takes a picture of me with a wig, with a smile and, and probably the mascara rolling down my cheeks. I send it to my husband. My husband calls me and says, what is that picture? What are, do you have on your head? I'm like, oh, it's called a wig, but wait, wait, wait. And I tell him the entire story. And he says, listen, I understand the message. <laughs> Take my credit card and buy yourself this wig. And I will manage to love you with this wig on your head. And Baruch Hashem, this was my first wig. After that, obviously, oh. this was 15 years ago, a little bit more than 15 years ago. This was my first wig. And this was the first of a long list of wigs because I love <laughs> playing with wigs and using the wigs to even like uh, be 
prettier and and like have a week like even to exercise, have a week for Shabbat. So Baruch Hashem, that was how Akadosh Baruch Hu enabled me to offer him that gift of following his mitzvah, becoming even closer to him, growing into the person that I had the potential to become. And what is very interesting is that after that, Baruch Hashem, I had two other kids, two other challenging pregnancies, but Baruch Hashem. But I think that the fact that I had this challenge and that I somehow left it in the hands of Hashem and told him, I know that everything comes from you. Everything in this world is you. You did that. You can fix it. <laughs> you can erase it in two seconds. I just want to make one step towards you in order to prove you how much I love you and how much I trust you and that I know that you're going to do what's good for me. At that moment, because I opened that door, I opened the door on a part of myself that I had never tapped in yet. And I opened a potential. Mm -hmm. I reached a part of my neshama that I hadn't discovered yet. And from that moment, my life changed professionally. And that's when I started working for the French Chabad. Before that, I was in furniture business. So really, <laughs> nothing to do. I started working for the French Chabad. And Liat Liat, I did many trainings in order to become a Madre Chakala in French here for the French community. The French community grew a lot those last 15 years. And my whole life changed from that challenge, that first challenge. Because I covered my hair, I reached a part of my potential that I would not have reached had I not covered my hair. So that was a beautiful, beautiful event in my life. Mm. It opened up a door for you, like you said, a new connection to your Judaism. Can you share for anyone who is struggling with covering their hair, either who wants to cover their hair but doesn't, or who does cover their hair but really struggles with it, or who covers their hair, doesn't struggle so much with actually the hair covering but struggles to appreciate it, what advice would you give on developing a more loving connection with hair covering? Because something that came up so often in your story was your deep and strong desire to cover your hair. It was something that you really wanted, that you were counting down the days to do, and then you finally felt like, okay, now is the right time. But for many people don't have that experience. It could be a really challenging mitzvah, or if they do it, it doesn't feel meaningful, or it just feels strange to have something covering their hair, etc. So what would be your words of wisdom? So the first part of your question is for people who want to cover their hair, but they don't really know how to proceed because you don't do that from one day to another. First of all, I will invite them to start slowly, slowly. Find days that are convenient for you to start. Could be on Shabbat, could be only moments sometimes, could be the moment of lighting the candle of Shabbat, could be a moment where you want to do Hidbodedut with Akadosh Baruch Hu and you want to feel something very special on your hair because you feel that he's above you and protecting you. And then you, you increase the days slowly. For instance, from Shabbat or the Chagim, you can add also maybe 
Mondays and Thursdays, which are the day where we read the Torah. And really the important thing, I think, for someone who wants to cover her hair, but it's a little challenging to change, then you have to think of moving slowly your comfort zone as if it was a bubble of soap. Mm. If you have a bubble of soap on your hand and you want to move it very fast to the edge of your hand, you're going to blow the bubble. If you push it slowly, slowly, blowing on it like that, it will move slowly, slowly. This is how you can really achieve big changes by we are all living in a comfort zone. Whatever is inside of this comfort zone, we're okay to do. If we change just a tiny bit our habits, if we add one day a week where we're going to cover our hair, or even like half of a day, or even just Shabbat evening to start, this is not going to be a big change. The Yetzirah might not even think about it as a change. So it will not stop you from achieving your goal. So slowly, slowly, add one more afternoon with your hair covered. Add one more day. And then slowly, slowly, you're going to feel comfortable through that because you got used to it. That's for the ladies who are really longing for that mitzvah, but they feel it's difficult to do it. For those who already cover their hair and it's difficult to cover the hair, I think first, like it's a good thing to reach out to the Rebetzin of their area and ask them, can you please explain to me why do I need to cover my hair? I have a very good friend who was brought up in a family of Shluchim and she said, I never even had the choice. I had to cover my hair, mm -hmm. but I was never really taught why. I never saw the beauty of it. So maybe by trying to find the beauty in it, to try to connect to a person in her environment who could help her see that by understanding better the mitzvah, by sharing some experience. So that's the first advice for this type of person. I would also try to connect with women who saw miracles by covering their hair. I think you probably know Charlene Aminoff. She's a famous speaker today. She was in Miami a few years ago, and her daughter, I think her name is Gali, drowned in the pool. And at mm. the moment when she arrived in the pool and saw her daughter in a very, very bad condition, she grabbed a towel, wrapped it around her hair, and told Akadosh Baruch Hu, I'm doing this, you're saving my daughter. I'm doing this, you're saving my daughter. And that's what happened. The doctor said, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. There's no scientific explanation of what happened. And she knew because she covered her hair. And even the Rebbe Milubavitch says that whoever covers her hair will see the benefits on the blessing that would come towards her husband and her kids. Mm. So if we want to see bracha in our kids, and protection for our kids, there's no better mitzvah than to cover our hair. If we are already covering our hair and we are struggling with that mitzvah, maybe try to find a wig style that is more your style. Because sometimes we go with the flow, but that same 
Rebettine, I told you about who did recently like uh, this class in Parkland and was explaining her struggle with the mitzvah of covering her hair. She has a very short wig, very, very short wig. And she said for many years, like she tried long wigs just like everyone. And that was not reflecting her personality. Mm -hmm. And one day she arrived in this salon and she saw a short wig, like a very short, like almost like, I don't know how we say like, Mexica? yes, a little bit spiky and very different. And she says, wow, I want to try this on. And she saw herself with that. And she said, this reflects my personality. So maybe try to find a wig that reflects your personality. Try to go out of the box. Sometimes when we grow up in from environment, we have to go with the flow. We have to fit in a box, but we can serve Hashem in our unique way. And we don't need to serve Hashem within the box. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a, a beautiful universe, infinite universe that is not always limited to the box. So we can go out of that box and decide to be ourselves and to let our special spark shine through that beautiful mitzvah in a different way. Yeah. What I heard was, if you are struggling to begin, then take it on slowly, find small pockets where you can cover your hair. If you are wearing it and struggling, then maybe invest deeper in learning why you cover your hair or find a style of covering your hair that suits you more. Maybe part of what's bothering you is the fact that you don't like the way it looks and it doesn't feel like you. Exactly. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. It was beautiful to hear your story and to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Tanya. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, I want to invite you to leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find the podcast. And you know, we're all about getting Chassidus into every corner of the world. I also want to invite you, if you really loved it, to share it with a friend who you think might love it too. If you would like to sponsor an episode, you can reach out to us at humanandholy at gmail.com. To give to Human and Holy in any amount, visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor. You can follow us on Instagram at humanandholy, and you can stay up to date with everything we do by signing up for our newsletter on humanandholy.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.